Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a fantastic episode for you this week. I had the opportunity to talk with Sean Lovejoy, founder and CEO of CourageToLead.com, where he and his team dedicate themselves to coaching pastors and church leaders. Sean previously served as the founding and lead pastor of Mountain Lake Church, which is one of the fastest growing churches in the country. On this week's episode, Sean and I discuss some of the most pressing issues pastors are currently facing, including helpful advice for developing healthy culture, strong teams, and effective systems to help your church be both faithful and fruitful. So let's listen in on my conversation with Sean Lovejoy. Sean, I just want to welcome you to our Church Leaders Podcast. It's always a joy to have you with us. It's been a joy getting to know you, ma'am. Sean, you've you've had a lot of uh, amazing experiences. You've had the opportunity to plant a church um, that, that grew into a mega church in Georgia. You're the uh, directional leader for churchplanters.com, and you've had the opportunity to lead uh, conferences for church planters and encourage them and help equip them. And now God has you in, in kind of a new season of ministry. It's very exciting had the opportunity to share a, a lot about that and now you're coaching so you're you're coaching pastors and you've developed a, a team that's doing a fantastic job at helping to provide guidance and just speak into lives and i know that you have some unique ways of approaching how you and your team coaches pastors can you talk a little bit about how you do that in the importance of of kind of your methodology there yeah i'd love to jason yeah, um thanks for having me on today it's an honor to get to know you and yes i have planted a church and led a mega church and i have scars on both shoulders to prove it and um i approached my wife we started coaching church planters uh, originally back in 2003 when the church turned 10 years old i remember telling my wife hey what if we what if we turn the church over to one of these younger pastors and just coach pastors full time? And she said, are you kidding me? We're just now enjoying this. <laughs> so it took a few years to bring this to uh, unity. Uh, but I have had the domain uh, courage to lead.com for almost a decade now for not if, but when, you know, God released me to pastor pastors, you know, and coach pastors and pastoring is a lonely world, you know, so it begins with, you know, personal growth, you know, life planning, it's it's personal assessment, you know, your calendar is a system, you know, all of that. You know, it's always great for pastors to finish the race sane, centered, and married. It's a good idea, you know? Right, right. So, so it begins out of a place of health. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to pit faithfulness against fruitfulness. I mean, healthy things should grow. So we want to see the ministries grow, you know, since so since launching Courage to Lead and now you know, sort of equipping an entire team of, of pastors around the country to coach other pastors. We talk about what's called the three gears of growth, culture, team, and systems. And I just believe they're three separate but interdependent gears. This is why, I mean, I love the guys at Orange and the family ministry that they have there, but this is why it doesn't just work to load up the family ministry team, head off to the Orange Conference there in Atlanta, you know, purchase everything they have to sell there for family ministry curriculum, come back and it fix our family ministry in our church. Because if you don't have the right culture to support family ministry, you don't have the right team to support family ministry, then the curriculum's only going to be so successful. And that's true, you know, when it comes to all three of the gears. So we help, you know, ministries and pastors, you know, sort of assess where they are in those three gears. And then we attack the weakest gear first. 
And we have, you know, kind of a longer runway. We're not consultants, we're coaches. We don't want to drop a process on you. We want to walk alongside you to help you improve. If you get healthier in those three areas, you will grow. That's my belief. Excellent, excellent. Now, you and your team have opportunity to talk to a lot of churches and different sized churches. I know you you coach smaller churches, medium sized churches. You coach very large churches as well. So, in in those conversations, what would you say are the most pressing issues um, that pastors are facing? What are the things that kind of bubble up again and again? Well, it differs, you know, pretty, pretty widely depending upon context. But let's just talk about culture for a moment. You know, some pastors, a lot of pastors inherited a culture. <laughs> right. They take over the ministry of a church, and it always looks better on the front side, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and pastor search teams will lie to you, you know. So it, you get you get in, you realize that there's a history, there are landmines, there are, you know, unhealthy parts of the culture Culture happens by design or by default. You don't have to build one. It will naturally happen, you know, happen. Right. So, we you know, we, we help guys transition cultures. I tell guys all the time, even if you do the right thing the wrong way, you still get fired. So <laughs> we, we want to make sure that we take as many of the sheep with us as possible. John Maxwell said, he that thinketh he leadeth and no one followeth is only taking a walk. Right. So a lot of times the pastor, it's not just knowing what to do. It's how to do it and how to take the leaders with you. You know, so that's just an example of, you know, how we would attack culture. The other side of that is like, let's just say it's a new church or a new church planter or a new leader in ministry. You have to be the culture you want to build. So a lot of times they don't have a culture. They're trying to build a healthy culture from the ground up. So we, we you know, we begin there with more with self-leadership. You know, you've got to be the person you reproduce you know, what you are, not what you want to reproduce. So, you know, in that instance, we talk a lot about personal leadership and how they live and how they lead, how they model the way, how they relate to their team. There's a difference between a staff and a team. And if you want to have a team, you know, that's going to require a lot of work. You're going to have to become a team player first and foremost yourself. So that's just a couple examples, two totally different situations where we coach leaders how to build the culture they want to build. Right, that's good. I, I want to just back up a little bit on on that idea of culture um, for an established church, kind of inheriting culture. Because I can only imagine um, in our audience, you know, pastors and church leaders, there are probably a lot of people who, as they're listening to this, are nodding their head, yes, that's me. You know, I, I came into a situation, um, felt God has led us here, and, you know, now I'm, I'm into it three months, six months, nine months, whatever it might be. And the thing that God, I feel, is impressing upon my heart where he wants to, this church to, to move is not what is the predominant culture at this time. Um, how would you begin to encourage pastors if they find themselves in that type of situation? What are just a few things that they might start uh, looking into or considering to try to help um, move their people to where they sense the Spirit is leading sure. them? Well, I think one of the most common mistakes that you know, leaders make, especially senior leaders, you know, within the the ministry and culture flows from the top down. So it starts at the top. It doesn't bubble up from the bottom, at least the healthy culture doesn't. So, you know, it begins top down. But I think one of the common mistakes leaders make is try to get too much culture building done from the pulpit and the platform, even though it can be done there. You know, we've all sat in congregations where the pastor was trying to handle some toxic culture in the church and everyone in the congregation knew he was talking to two people. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And honestly, it, that's, that's a cowardly, passive-aggressive way, and frankly, the least effective way to build culture in the church. Um, if we want to, you know, sort of rebuild, reconstruct culture in the church, I tell leaders, you've got to begin, you know, in circles, not in rows, and in coffee shops, you know, not on the platform, and really, really spend time with the key influencers, you know, in the church, and disciple them and share our holy discontent with them. Spend time with them. Share the why behind the what. But many leaders I know make the mistake, you know, of unveiling this new vision for where they want to take the church from the platform. And they don't even have the key influencers, you know, bought into the ministry yet. And so even though people early on might say, hey, it sounds like a good idea. If the key influencers and they're having lobby conversations with them 10 minutes after the sermon. So if we haven't won over the key influencers in the ministry yet, then everything we're trying to do on the platform is going to be wasted. So it takes patience. It takes a lot of elbow grease. And it takes a lot of one-on-one. You know, leadership first begins one-on-one with the few, not the crowds. That's how Jesus did it, you know, by the way. Right, right. Um, He started with a few first, really got, you know, influential, young, sharp guys infused into them and changed the world through them. And, And sometimes we just need 10 or 12 people with us. And everybody else will go if if we just spend time with the influencers. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. What if the the influencers maybe have been around for a while and so they tend to be resistant to to change. But maybe there's some people who may not have as much influence but are excited and kind of have some synergy with where you as a lead pastor feel the church is going. How would you recommend someone kind of address that situation? Well, first, for a lot of type A leaders, is you know, the, the dreaded P word is needed, patience. You know, most senior leaders I know don't do patience very, very well. Right, right. <laughs> so it is a fruit of the Spirit. So that's why we've got to let the Lord, you know, work on us and in us and develop patience. This is not going to get done through a four-week message series. Uh, And a lot of guys want to change culture like that. So it's going to require, you know, patience. So you're not going to be able—they are going to be resistant to change. You know, no one likes change unless it's their idea. (laughs) So that's going to take time. That's going to take discipleship. And many times people are down on what they're not up on. And so it's just going to take time to to spend time with those leaders. But then sometimes I do think it's rightful to plow around some trees versus plow them up. And I I don't think it's necessary to have every key influencer on on board. You know, I tell leaders all the time, go with the goers. You know, go with the goers. Find you two or three, four or five people who have influence. Then find some other people who are passionate about it. And start building a new nucleus of support, you know, around the new culture you're trying to build. And I tell guys, it doesn't have to be public at first. I mean, take a ninja approach and start building the culture in a small group first. Start building the culture on one volunteer team first, one ministry first. Let it work and then start celebrating those wins first privately, then publicly. Make the new culture more attractive than everything else. And all of a sudden, people who didn't think it's a good idea, they see it working and you can't argue with facts and statistics and all of a sudden stories. And people want to become part of the new thing all of a sudden that were adamantly opposed to it to begin with. That's just an example you know, of how we try to equip guys to make better decisions when they're trying to enact great change in the church. Yeah, that's great advice. Well said. Let's jump to um, – you talked a little bit about team versus staff. 
um, and the importance of that. And I know that's that's something that you have lived out. That's something that you encourage uh, pastors to really focus on this idea of team. Give us a little um, taste of what is that difference between team and staff? How would you break that down? It's it's one word. It's oneness. Mm. There's a oneness. You know, there's a unity, you know, that defines a team, whereas a staff, you know, is largely governed by silos and politics and turf wars, as Patrick Lencioni says. And so a staff works together and tolerates each other and stays out of each other's way. But I really do believe that together everyone accomplishes more. So you look at Acts 2, they had they had a great team. I mean, there was mutual devotion. They were devoted to the word and to each other. That's right. important. But then they also were together and they were together consistently. So I tell guys all the time, really just three components are required to build a team versus staff. Mutual devotion. We've got to be committed to God and to each other and to the vision. We've got to be unified around it. We've got to be together consistently and proximity is key. Like over and over and over being together, you form a team. And guys never, you know, want to be in part of meetings. But I think meetings are the great playing field of teams. And and any guy who says, you know, we really don't have anything to meet about this week has really a short sighted understanding of what meetings, you know, are and about. Because first they're for community building and building trust and communication and collaboration. It's where coaching happens. All of the great things that, that happen when it comes to making better disciples of our team, you know, happens in meetings. So it's a commitment to oneness and togetherness that makes all the difference between a team and a staff. That's awesome. And, and when you talk about um, meetings and being together, um, I imagine you're talking not only about formal meetings and, you know, formal times together, but even some of those informal times of kind of doing life on life. Is that... Uh, something that you encourage when you're coaching pastors? I think it's definitely informal, but I think it's just like, you know, my date night with my wife. If I wait until it's time to, till everything slows down, you know, until we have plenty enough money and plenty enough time, you know, to go on dates and go on vacations, it'll just never happen. Right. So I think a system, you know, of community building, you know, is reveals a higher commitment to community building. For example, I mean, we had an every Tuesday morning we called Fist Bump Tuesday uh, <laughs> on our team for years when I was a senior pastor. And that's what we did. We sat, I systemized it. I'm not naturally, I don't feel like, like an encouraging team builder, but I know it's so important for me. And I, I care about my team, but naturally I don't do a great job of showing it because I'm a hard charger. So I built a system that kind of holds me accountable to circling it with my team and giving attaboys and girls virtual fist bumps. And we did it with our team. And probably the guy who got the most fist bumps over the years was the facility guy. You know, it was a system we built for naturally caring for each other. You know, I had a rotation of my key guys, you know, on Thursdays that we did lunch together versus waiting until we had time and we caught up. It was important to get it on the calendar to show my commitment to my team. But I, I get calls from guys all the time, senior leaders, and they're like, Sean, I got a problem, you know, with this worship leader. <laughs> and I said, I'm, my first question is always, well, tell me about your, you know, your, your regular meeting with them. 
And the response is usually the same. Oh, well, we don't, you know, really have a consistent meeting time. You know, I see them virtually every week, virtually every day. You know, we've got planning center. We don't have a regular. I said, that's your problem. Right. You know, because your worship leader doesn't know you. You don't know your worship leader. They don't know that you care about them. And they certainly can't know your heart and the real vision that's coming out of your heart if you're not together consistently. So I just think that's so key for teams. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So we've, we've talked a bit about culture, talked about teams, and then even in that conversation about teams, you're bringing up this idea of systems, systems that you've put into place. And I know that's kind of one of the other key areas that you really coach pastors in is developing these systems. So you mentioned that, you know, there are certain things that you just don't naturally gravitate toward. And all of us have that, right? All of us have things that we just sure. are natural for us and things that aren't so natural. And so this, I, I understand from you, is is why systems are so important. Because if we don't have systems, then we're just going to stick in what we're used to and what we naturally gravitate toward, and we miss out on some of the important pieces. So how do you coach pastors through that? So I tell guys all the time, you know, when I, when I started a church back in when I was 28 years old, Everyone told me I had to have systems. You know, first of all, no one told me what a system was, <laughs> nor how to build one. So, and it's overcomplicated. Like systems are such a mystery to people. And I meet guys and gals all the time who tell me I'm just not great at systems. But but a, 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 a system is just a bridge that moves things and people from where they are to where God wants them to be. I mean, a budget is a system. A meeting is a system. You know, our small groups are a system. Our volunteerism is, is, is a system. Our generosity and how we operate the finances of the church, it's a system. So it's got it's, to be a system. It's got to be on paper. It's got to be accessible to everyone. And we've got to hold ourselves accountable to it. And so all we really know, no, need to build a system then is where are we now and where does God want things and people to be? And then we start creating the simple steps. Anyone can build a system you know, with some intentionality. So they need to be simple. They need to be effective. You know, they need to be consistent. I talk about stick-to-itiveness, you know, when it comes to systems. New systems are never an overnight success. And a lot of times I see guys get system schizophrenia <laughs> and they run off to, you know, every, every their whole team is afraid every time they come home from a conference <laughs> because they're going to, you know, throw everything out the window they've been doing and adopt the new system. And uh, Dan Ryland, 12 Stone Church, who was with John Maxwell for years, told me years ago, he said, Sean, no plan's perfect. Work your plan. So over time, you'll improve. You'll get better if you work the plan and you focus on processes, not programs. Um, I really do believe if one more program would save the day, the church would have already saved it. <laughs> right. So it's about a commitment and discipline you know, to get better at a process over time that moves people from where they are to where God wants them to be. But anybody, any team can build a system with that kind of approach. What would you say to, to the pastor who says systems, you know, that's that feels kind of sterile. You know, this is, you know, ministry is relational and there's this, you know, organic aspect to relationships. And when we start talking about systems, you know, it seems to be kind of taking away from that. How, how, do, sure, you, how do you approach sure. that? Well, I, I, I tell guys, I've heard it, of course, a hundred thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> I tell guys all the time that, you know, God is a God of order. And from the beginning, you know, he begins to set systems out before the fall. Right. You know, he sets into mind like a weekly system to sustain us. You know, he said, I want you to work six days. And by the way, we invented the 40 hour work week. 
you know, they worked sun up to sundown six days a week. That's 72 hours a week. <laughs> Does that encourage you <laughs> or, or discourage you? You know, but then the, the next day he said, you're to rest. That was a system. That was a system. So like personally, it begins with building systems that sustain us from the very beginning. You know, and then God sets into to play systems for culture, systems for agriculture, systems for celebration, systems for remembering, you know, where we've come from and remember what God's brought us through over and over and over. You know, God builds those things. And then, of course, the church, there's this these simple systems that work. You know, they met in a crowd, you know, and then they dispersed and they broke up into homes. And if you look into Acts 2 and beyond, you see it worked out through the New Testament. There were these simple systems that moved people into biblical community, into service, into generosity. I mean, even the whole spiritual gift idea is a, is a system that helps the church function and operate the way he's wired all of us. So a lot of, you know, God invented the idea. You know, it's a shame that businesses historically have done a little bit better job and are a little bit more disciplined than we are. You know, to sort of make order and, and systems work in their companies better than a lot of churches. But where I see churches, you know, that are really, really growing and effective and accomplishing the Great Commission, they have simple systems that work and that are improving over time. By the way, they're all over the place. There's no there's no one way to do this. I mean, I've sort of made a career out of studying, you know, outreaches. 100 fastest growing churches in America. My church made the list a few times when I was a senior pastor. The systems are all over the place. There's no one way to do it. But everywhere you find a great church, they have a vibrant, attractive, life-giving culture. They have a high-performing team, and they have simple systems that work. That is the commonality you see among the great churches. And everywhere you find a stuck church, by the way, you know, you'll find an unhealthy culture or a less-than-performing team, or you'll find broken systems. So I really do believe it's the way kind of God designed the church to work. Those three gears working in symphony together. No, that, that's good. So in regard to systems, if, if a pastor's like, well, we don't have anything established, you know, and what you're saying, Sean, makes sense. You know, the way you frame that helps me see the value of systems. Where would you suggest they start if they just really don't have anything, you know, formally in place? Are there a few systems that you've seen churches should kind of jump into initially? And is there a starting place? Sure. Well, I think, you know, it, it, it has everything to do with the kind of disciple we're trying to make. You know, what do we want people to do? You know, do we want people to gather together and worship, know the Bible frontwards and backwards, and, you know, not cuss, drink, smoke, chew, or kiss those girls who do? You know, I hope <laughs> not, you know, because that's, I just defined the the Pharisees. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so what kind of disciple are you trying to make? Are you trying to build biblical community? Are you trying to build a culture of service? Are you trying to build a culture of generosity? And then where are people now? You know, the reason why tithing sermons aren't working these days is because Dave Ramsey tells us Americans spend 127% of their income on average now. So we're telling people to give 10% from the pulpit or platform. That's a 37% swing. <laughs> Wow. So how do we begin to move them from where they are to where God wants them to be? It's going to take more than a sermon. Right. You know, it's going to take a budget workshop. It's going to take a financial class and, a, and it's going to take financial counselors to help get people out of debt, you know, in the church. These are simple steps we can begin to build to build a more generous culture 
versus trying to fix everybody in 25 minutes or less or 35 minutes or less, <laughs> you know, from the platform. The, so anyone can build a system if they just know where people are now and where God wants them to be and then begin to brainstorm on a whiteboard somewhere or a big post-it pad. How can we then begin to create some simple steps that move them from where they are to where God wants them to be? Oh, that's good. That's excellent. As you're talking to, to pastors and church leaders around the country, and as your team is working with them and coaching them, um, is there anything that, that we haven't touched on in, in this conversation that you'd say, here's something that, that I really think that church leaders need to, need to hear? Well, of course, I, mean, I just alluded to it up top a little bit. You know, my heart was that you know, pastors and ministry leaders stay sane, centered, and married. You know, and all, all the the reason I love our approach to the way we coach pastors and ministry leaders and lead teams and churches is that it begins with a place of health. Healthy things grow. So when I when I finished ministry, I was not the perfect pastor. Don't let me misrepresent that. You know, at all. But when we when I finished pastoring in a local church context, I was most proud of three things. We stayed true to the vision. My wife liked me, and my kids loved the church. Oh, yeah. Those are the three most gratifying things to me. And the reason why, you know, being the culture you want to build, the reason why it's important having a team, I tell guys there's a direct correlation between your ability to nurture your own vitality and the team you have around you. That's why it's necessary to make courageous conversations, courageous calls, sometimes manage people off the team so that we can manage our own vitality and stay sane. Mm. Well, and, and we have high-performing people around us that we can trust to run with the ball. And building these simple systems that work starts with a, a simple system in our own lives, a calendar, a rhythm in our own life. I was just talking with a ministry leader today who, you know, confessed to me that she had really not taken a day off in two years. Oh my! You know, and that's I, I hear it. I hear those kinds of conversations every day. So if if we finish without our family, and we finish without our sanity, you know, we lose. And I've experienced the the fruitful side of that, of finishing, you know, with my family intact. And of course, I'm still doing that today. And I could probably build courage to lead bigger and faster, but I've refused to do it at the expense of my own health. I'm all for the Great Commission. Right just not at the expense and neglect of the great commandment. And that's kind of our whole holistic, you know, collective approach to keeping leaders healthy, building healthy culture teams and systems. And when you do it, you know, Acts 247 says, and the church rapidly grew, you know, in numbers. So that's what we want to see. That's the fruit. I love that, brother. I love that. I love your heart. I love what, uh, Courage to Lead is doing and helping so many pastors and churches around the country. So if people want to uh, get in touch with you or your team, how can they do that? CourageToLead.com. That's where everything, you know, is spelled out in terms of what we do and how we do it. And most of what we do is one-on-one, you know, coach on church, coach on church leadership board, coach on leader. You know, there's just a need for that in, in today's world. Awesome, brother. So good to have you with us. And uh, I'm sure that uh, a lot of what you shared uh, will be very, very valuable to those who are listening and uh, hopefully encourage them to dig a little more deeply into what God is calling them to be as a leader. And um, and we just really appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom, brother. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on today, man. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode. 
We certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you are indeed finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, we'd appreciate you taking just a few moments to jump over onto iTunes and to leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders find our podcast so they can benefit as well. We thank you so much in advance. And until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.